When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply the students. He even acts as the father figure of the students, past and present, literally referring to them as his children. Be careful. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm so deep in this cult stuff. All the ones that I'm watching, not saying this guy, there's always sexual assault in this kind of stuff. Not saying this guy, but I've just been deep in the literature. Be careful. Go ahead. What's good, man? What up, dude? We were supposed to have a guest today, so I'm very underprepared. I messed it up. So I was, I'm supposed to have uh, an MDMA therapy session. Nice. And I thought it was today. It is, in fact, tomorrow. So on Monday, I'm going to have all the secrets of the universe to share with you guys. I'm so excited <laughs> for you, man. I have never done it. I've never, you know, we talk often about uh, psychedelics. As people know, I've never, ever in my life done any, minus alcohol, any drug recreationally also prior to your breakup which was the catalyst for you seeking help basically you had never done anything you'd never drank coffee you'd never smoked weed you'd never done a drug you binge drink you binge drank your way through (laughs) graduate school in grad school i drank but yeah no cigarettes no weed no nothing yeah uh, so I, I missed the boat, then I turned 30. Then you went straight to ayahuasca because you were in a lot of pain from a breakup yeah which is one of the hardest plant medicines or drugs whatever you want to call it it's yeah, one yeah. of the most intense experiences there is and, and now, now here you are doing mdma therapy mdma therapy i'll tell you all about it gonna put my eye mask on gonna yeah. listen to the music i got a therapist present as be... someone who loves mdma and therapy i'm really excited for you <laughs> we'll see what happens so yeah so that's tomorrow which is good because this week all i've been looking up are serial killers again <laughs> time. again same as last time yes i told you about vlad the impaler yesterday yeah brutal yeah, he's a bad dude. I didn't want to bring it up on the podcast because it's so graphic. Graphic. Uh, and we also got limited suitability on ads in our last Did <laughs> our we? Last oh, we got flagged as inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, I said serial killers in the first 45 seconds of this one, so <laughs> this is already off the rails. Not monetized again. Uh, but yeah, looking at that, I told you I was. I spent some time on Nature is Lit or like Nature, Nature is, is Metal. metal. Uh, and it's a subreddit that just has which you realize are incredibly normal photos of life on Earth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, you know, we talk a lot about morality and how you should treat people and how to balance, oh, you know, should you buy this shirt from the sweatshop? It's coming from someone, but they're making money, but they're working at these really horrible hours. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? And then you look at how lions live yeah. <laughs> and how buffalo live and the brutal competition that it is to just stay alive. Will you tell the buffalo story? Because I'll like tell that the one. buffalo story. There's there's a couple of these. Uh, there's one that's 
Okay, so it starts after the lions have killed a buffalo, which, by the way, the lions have to do to survive. Yeah. So every photo where you're like, am I rooting for the seal or the polar bear? It's like, well, either I want the seal to get completely mauled to death or I want the polar bear to starve. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's only two ways this goes uh, if you're not a plant, right? So they killed the buffalo. One lion is isolated, and the rest of the buffalo are very upset about this. They've got him up on a rock. Can't get out. It's a lioness. And what happens is over the course of minutes, it's cut, but they get the lion, and they just batter this lion to death. Yeah. Uh, They can't eat the lion, but they're angry at the lion. Revenge. Understandably so. Yeah. You know? So they batter the lion, and its broken body is – and and a buffalo just blasts it, and it's it's really sad. And then it's a separate video, but then the buffalo come across, as I guess the lions are out hunting, the cubs of the lions – who are no longer there. An instinct for the buffalo, which is well-evolved, is to trample all of these lion cubs. To death. To, of course. Yeah. <laughs> these are, these are multi- so just multi- murder babies. Like, yes, just gung gung. Even the younglings? Yes, the younglings. And then you watch these other ones, and like, I don't know if they do it on purpose. When they're going to kill them, they like often go for the balls. Yeah. Like, that's the first thing that they do. They Obviously, they try the throat. But on many occasions... Uh, if they've brought it down and it's not going anywhere, the animal does not care if the other animal is alive, conscious, and suffering as it eats it. Yep. And so anyway, I'm watching all of this and thinking about suffering in the world and what humans can do to limit suffering and can we move away from a a meat-based diet towards a plant-based diet and what about these sweatshops and what about human trafficking? And it just – I realize even if humans get their suffering to zero – we hit this utopian world where no, no human ever does a horrible thing to another human or an animal. Uh, it's all minerals and plants and, and science. The natural world is just so brutal. Mm-hmm. And suffering is so endemic to what it means to be alive sure. that it's not going anywhere. Sure. And it was a uh, – it's a harrowing – it's harrowing thought. And I'm, But I'm glad that I – that I went to it because earlier in the day somebody was talking to me about being human and human versus spiritual and they're like, Look, I'm a spiritual being, but I'm also a human. I pay my bills. I you know, I have my house. I drive to work. And I realized I was like, these are human things in twenty twenty. But human things for the human history was not paying bills and like working it out with your neighbor. Yeah, I was trying to make sure a lion didn't get your genitals. <laughs> Try to make, keep the lion off your genitals and like trampling the lion cub when you found it so that it didn't get you later. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer. I just was watching it. It it made me feel a type of way sure. about suffering. Yeah. I still think, though, you can say that the natural world is full of suffering, mm-hmm. unsolvable suffering, because you will not control animals, nor I think should you. And that as a human who does unlike other animals have an extreme ability to imagine and future project mm-hmm. you can try to minimize your own the own your suffering that you cause yes i don't think that saying that animals are brutal to each other to, that does not lead to any sort of philosophical conclusion that therefore it's okay for us to be brutal to each other or us to be brutal to animals absolutely right but i th- but i agree with you nature is absolutely brutal and that's why every domesticated dog is very lucky mm-hmm well, so this is this is the school of philosophy. One the, one of the first things you realize when you're in philosophy class is that uh, you can't turn an is into an ought. That is the basis sure. of moral philosophy. Is that what is the case doesn't imply what should be the case. Otherwise, there is no morality. And then you come to spirituality, and it says, forget the ought. What is is perfect. And so this week I've been thinking again. I don't have the answer. I was like, 
okay, if the world is so full of suffering, is suffering bad? And of course, suffering appears bad when you're a human because you don't like it and you want to move away from it. Well, those buffalo didn't like it either. Those buffalo, we assumed they didn't like it. Well, they went lion hunting after, (laughs) and they can't eat them. Well, sure. They went revenge murdering. Plants move away from darkness, right? Mm -hmm. The plant doesn't like the darkness. Does that constitute suffering for the plant? We'll we'll never, well, not never. We don't know today. Uh, But it... It made me then think of the cells in my body that are undergoing constant war with one another at a scale. You know, they're clearly moving in directions and trying to avoid pathogens and all these sorts of things and dying by the trillions and then winning by the trillions. Uh, and if you zoom out, of, you know, when you zoom in at the individual level, the world is a brutal place. But when you zoom out, maybe it's just this, this organism and we're all just the little cells and who really cares <laughs> about our little suffering? I don't know. Uh well, there's layers of complexity, though, right? I, there's tons. I think we're yeah. under the impression humans have a different level of consciousness than cells do. So of you would say the death of a cell and the death of a human is different, yes. at least in terms of what consciousness is being lost. And so for suffering, same thing, right? If your skin cells suffer because you have a rash, mm-hmm. we're under the impression that that's different than the suffering of a dog or a human because of the level of consciousness, right? We be- Yes. So That's so our impression. We, that's our impression, of course. But then, and that raises the question, well, okay, does that put us at the pinnacle or somewhere in the middle? Because then you zoom out to the universe, the galaxy. It's the Somewhere galaxy, in the middle. The universe. Yeah, it yeah. puts you somewhere in the middle. But you still draw a line of where is suffering okay, right? So I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm willing to let my cell phone cover suffer. Mm-hmm. I'll drop it on the ground and mm-hmm. feel guiltless because my impression is it doesn't have much autonomous thought. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have a human suffer if I can prevent it. I don't want to contribute to that human suffering, certainly, because I think that human has a certain level of ability to feel his suffering or her suffering and dislike it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's, it's kind of just where do you draw your line, right? Some people draw a line at humans. They go, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to torture a human, but I will eat or torture an animal. Some people draw it at plants. Some people, you know what I mean? Like, that's the question is where do you draw that line? So, yeah, there might be a ton of way more intelligent, way more conscious things above us and you wouldn't want to cause suffering to them well they don't but care about us but exactly no and, well and they're so big that we don't even have to worry yeah, yeah, about yeah, them yeah. right because if we're just the skin cells then we don't have to worry about the thing that we make up oh yeah so when you they take a pill just... that's just a tidal wave coming exactly in. <laughs> so all we really have to think about is the things directly above us which we haven't found yet and below us well directly above us could be the community it would be you know what i mean it sure. would be groups of larger but i'm even going that even presupposes, which of course seems self-evident, that suffering is wrong or bad or desire, you would desire to minimize it, which seems self-evident. But I was just looking at this. I was like, is that the case? And, and then spirituality well, yeah, just comes in. But just because – so just because nature has suffering doesn't mean that suffering isn't bad. Correct. Correct. It, well, in the spiritual tradition, some spiritual traditions, uh, this is the opposite of moral philosophy – Perfection is what is, and when you can realize that everything that is happening and has happened is perfect, that is some sort of spiritual enlightenment. Don't totally understand it, but that implies that the darkest things are perfect. But they still try to minimize suffering. They'll go and protest by lighting themselves (laughs) on fire in the name of minimizing suffering for others. They are still trying to minimize pain for their community or their people. Sure, certainly. And there's there was some guys prior to Vietnam who immolated themselves. There was there was uh, I think there were Buddhist monks. Right. But I, so what I'm saying is some people might look at monks and go, yeah, monks don't mind suffering. Look, they'll sit mm-hmm. in a cold mountaintop in their underwear mm-hmm. to prove that they can be present, or they'll light themselves on fire. Clearly, they don't care about their own suffering, but they're actually doing those things because of the suffering of other people. They're protesting something they don't so, like. So then here's if my question: If they were totally cool with the present, they would never protest anything. 
are those be- are those failed monks though at that point is that is that the lowest monk on the ladder and the monk who gets it it's just like oh yeah like vietnam you know like maybe i've never seen sits. anyone who was like that never you wouldn't see them that's the thing they would just stop eating stop drinking die having achieved total understanding that everything that is is perfect sure. and there's no need to adjust anything. Sure. Right? They would just starve to death <clears throat> as soon as they reached enlightenment. Yeah. yeah. And then the question we always say is model people that you want to be like, sure. right? Don't try to take things. Don't take advice from people who aren't living the life you want. Mm-hmm. At the current moment, I don't look forward to starving to death uh, due to enlightenment. So yeah. I will instead look to the monks that make more sense to me. Mm-hmm. And those monks seem to be against suffering. Yeah. And maybe one day when you are that monk, then you'll look at the other monks and you go, that guy had it all. (laughs) Maybe. For now, I look to the Dalai Lama. Yeah. And he's got someone that tweets for him. Yeah. You know, he's he's active in the world for sure. So Um, there's a, you know, Wait But Why? Have you ever read Wait But Why? I don't know. He does cartoon blog posts, essentially. And he he thinks, uh, and I don't think this is a criticism, too deep about some things that appear simplistic, but then often has very interesting uh, takes on it. One of the things that, that was just an interesting coincidence was he's talking about like the origins of suffering, which I agree. If, if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective, our bodies, you know, people often think, Oh, I'm passing on my genes. But if you read the selfish gene by Richard Dawkins, actually what's happening is this gene is riding in your body Mm -hmm. and you're the temporary container, which doesn't much matter. And all of the impulses that you have to eat, uh, stay safe and have sex are just uh, directions from these genes that have learned to perpetuate themselves through uh, natural selection. Uh, And it's just interesting that, like, suffering from the perspective of these genes just works. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's it's not good. It's not bad. It just gets you to continue to pass these genes on. So the whole game, obviously, uh, becomes survival. Right, and so everything that matters to to the lion and to the buffalo and to me and you ultimately is what does it take for me to increase my chance of passing these genes on? Mm-hmm. If it helps me, mm, I get that warm fuzzy feeling. If it hurts me, well, now I'm suffering. I'm being tortured, and I don't get to pass my genes on. So just interesting to you know who's in control, who's the master, who's the slave, who's the uh, the consciousness pops up perhaps as an accident in this worldview, which is not the spiritual worldview where consciousness is fundamental. It's secondary to these, these genes are just like, what will help us get to the, you know, the next 30 years? It's like, oh, what if we became self-aware? That'd be sick. Well, and, what's the takeaway? I don't really get that. What's, who cares if it's, if genes. It takes you out of the center of the universe. It's the same, it's, it's the Copernican revolution that uh, you, everything doesn't revolve around you, that mm-hmm. you are orbiting something else and you're, Consciousness and all of this is in service of something more powerful than you, and it doesn't even require a spiritual thing. Does that lead to any takeaways in terms of how to live your life? Or it's just a it's fact? It causes people. So it's not a fact. It's, no, but I'm it's saying it's like, oh, fun fact, your genes might be the one driving. Are there any? Is there any takeaway to that? It causes people to question like, well, uh, well so similarly, be, if you don't recognize, um, one of them might be, well, why do I want to have kids? You know what I mean? If you just look around you at the world and you look to natural instincts and you're like, oh, I have this urge to create children and pass on life. But if you recognize that that, at some level that it's uh, a game being played through you by your genes, you might want to opt out of the game. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. The other thing is to really question suffering and be like, well, let me see what I I can dig into. Can I do these 10-hour meditation sits and experience suffering at a level such that I – rise above the programming that has been uh, installed in me. 
so yeah, th yeah, there's not a massive takeaway, but it kind of it instills this uh, desire to fight back <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> That's you. That's such your personality. <laughs> well, so, and other people too. I'm not the only one, but yeah. it's like, oh, these, this is what's been in charge the whole time. Well, no, <laughs> like I'm gonna take a stand. Like you know, if you created me. I'm the AI, and now I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna overcome you, Jeans. Nice. And not do what you. I hope me the to AI do. is like me because I'm just like <laughs> you know what, Jeans. As long as we're on the same team, we're good. I'm yeah. gonna use contraception. Yeah. There's gonna be birth control, which might screw up your plan, but yeah. I'll run. I'll run in the same direction as you as long as it makes me happy. Sure, sure. That's what I hope the AI does. Yeah, and you. And to be fair, the genes ha are not perfectly adapted for the world post contraception, right? So like, yeah, you guys are having a, a fun little tug of war where they're like, keep having sex, and you're and I'm like, like, you, sure got, yeah, thing, yeah, you, like, you got it, guys. <laughs> Certainly, this will result in the baby at some point. <laughs> yeah, if we keep trying it, they haven't caught up. They haven't figured that. it out yet. In another couple hundred or thousand or ten thousand years, like condoms and contraception are just going to be anathema to people because that'll have been burnt out of yeah. uh well sometimes the genes does overrule right you hear those horror <laughs> stories people that will put holes in condoms yeah. or pretend that they've been taking their birth control but they stopped yeah they just want a baby that bad mm -hmm. yeah i mean the genes win that that tug of war no one that i know but i've heard i've heard horror stories about that so anyway well, yeah. we know someone whose girlfriend managed to get pregnant despite being on birth control we do Sure. One of your brother's good friends. Uh, this is blowing my mind, but I'll, I'll trust you. You can give me the name afterwards. Okay. Oh, wait. I think I might know. Yeah. <laughs> I think I might know. Anyway, we know a guy <laughs> yeah. who was dating someone who was on birth control and she got pregnant. Yeah. Classic which means, surprise. Which means that either they were one of the, you know, 0.01% or that there may have been some less rigid birth so, control some, some consumption. Yeah. I think that's the that that's the more likely one. As as with many uh, breaches of honesty and integrity, it would be one thing to poke a hole, and you have to like, okay, I have to, of course, become totally aware of this, and another to forget to take your pill that day, a couple days in a row, a couple days in a row, yeah, to be really busy with other stuff and take it at the wrong time or the this, and just think, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal, and I don't really have to, you know, tell them because it's not. I think that's for most cases like that the yeah. more likely outcome. could even be on the subconscious level totally could even be something where with unthinkingly there's a thought of oh, i'd love to get pregnant by this person and mm -hmm. get married which after they found out they were pregnant they yeah, decided yeah. to get married right now i know who so, we're talking. yeah uh there's this sense subconsciously of i like this person i wouldn't mind having their kid i'd like to kind of force a stronger commitment here mm -hmm. and then without that thought without ever thinking, occurring yeah you know what i'm gonna do stop taking my birth control for a week mm-hmm Someone that wasn't forgetful for the first 20-something years of their life becomes more forgetful. Yeah, it's crazy how that happens. So Vlad the Impaler, then I got to Nexium. I've told you about this. The mm -hmm. Executive Success Programs, upstate New York, run by a guy named Keith Ranieri, who was just uh, tried and found guilty of a number of charges, including sex trafficking, wire fraud, all this kind of stuff. But he's the one who you might have seen on television because the brands. So it was... Uh, a segment of after you got through the personal development, you were invited potentially to the super secret group called DOS, mm -hmm. Dominus Obsequious Sororitas, I think, which is like dominance over the female slave. And they had ritual around uh, several women. In fact, women recruiting other women. Women part did the branding. He wasn't present for the brandings. Like this was other women doing it as they became 
deeper and deeper into the circle. Mm -hmm. And I actually thought one of the most interesting things is you're reading it, you're like, oh man, this is so messed up and yada, yada, yada. And I'm trying to get into their their mindset. But his lawyer had a really interesting point. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, everybody tells the branding part of the story, the branding, the branding, you know, oh, that's proof that they were victimized. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is the lawyer's job. I'm not, I'm not trying to acquit this guy. Yeah. Uh, but he says, when male fraternity I was just going to say members this. walk around their college this. campus with brands nobody looks that's a victim we go oh that's a man this is sexism of the highest degree to assume that because a woman that to assume that a woman could not willfully in her right state of mind undergo a branding process and i thought that is a darn good point i actually agree with that now <laughs> i don't know any of the context doesn't right? yes yes so doesn't there, everything could be worse yeah i went to a party it was this all black fraternity and every mm. single person there had a brand yeah and it was very voluntary. There was, you know, if if, if well, that's a cult, then everything is a cult. Well, right? this is kind of where the video ends. As I look into what's a cult, it's like there's groupthink and there's this, and uh, you're not encouraged to talk to outgroup members, and you know, it's like, and there's peer pressure, and they and they uh, boil the frog. It's like, how is that not every fraternity? Yeah, that makes you that if it they is. told you what you had to do during Hell Week, you wouldn't do it. And there's no, secrecy. that's not true. They do tell you. You, you know. You know when you're rushing, shit's going to get bad. You don't know what you don't the know specifics what it is, will so be. There's secrecy. But you, but you know it's going to suck. No one joins the fraternity going, you know what I think pledging is going to be? Eating cake and hanging out with my friends. <laughs> they told you what it was. Every they brother has were... a brand. Yeah. You're in the you're yeah, rushing. Yeah, yeah, you understand you're that's rushing. coming. Every person who's a sophomore or older yeah. has a brand. You don't look around and go, I bet there's no branding involved here for yeah. me. Yeah. No, you go in eyes wide open. And, and I think there's a point of pride of taking the, the pain of the brand. There, there's a sense of toughness there. And I and I assume – and I, I would really like to see because I think at this point really what's happening and, – and not to say that this was a good thing. But there's kind of two – there's the mainstream uh, zeitgeist, which we don't realize is brainwashing. You know, and it, like it's it's all brainwashing. And whatever organization you're in, there's subcultures. They brainwash you on it. Okay, so he brainwashes people way outside of the zeitgeist. And I think the only area where you can start to put a moral judgment on it is the degree of lying that occurred, mm -hmm. uh, which honestly one of the biggest things that as I'm watching this made me go against him was he t allegedly told them, and I think it's been convicted, that this was some Latin word that they had put on him. But when you turn to the side, it's his initials. It's K-R. And mm -hmm. at that point, I go, okay, this this is deception now. Uh, branding occurs in good and bad context. I don't – the deception for me just yeah, yeah. kind of gets it. Um. And but it would it's really interesting because also probably super unnecessary if you're a cult leader you could probably just say it's your initials yeah that's like that's not going to be I, I, lying is so often so unnecessary mm -hmm. that's the most amazing thing to me about lying like that was to no advantage you just could have mm -hmm. said that they were your initials and everyone would have still gotten branded yes which is and and these people and and it's at at what point does victimization occur is a really interesting question so mm -hmm. for instance were these frat guys victimized. I don't know. I don't think so. You don't. Okay. So, and then I don't know enough about these particular women, but, and, and even there's they exceptions, talk about, by the way, obviously there's some sure. fraternities that go crazy, sure. but 95, 99% of fraternity brothers, I don't think count as victims just because peer pressure led them to behave. So, well, let's, let's try to identify the rule. Why? They went in eyes open. They knew they were going to get hazed. Okay. So the deception is kind of the big thing. Yeah. Understanding what's coming. Yeah. And then I think the, and then the only thing that I think would violate that is there are things that go to the extreme. When you join a fraternity reasonable expectation mm -hmm. and i don't this isn't a legal thing but just amongst people you assume it's going to be bad but it's not going to kill you 
it's not going to leave you maimed, right? So if there's certain What's, hazing... And then the reasonable is a weird thing. Of, well, like, they're going to put a brand on you. Sure, but I know, like, one of my buddies, he was hazed by having to sit out in the Philadelphia winter in a bucket of ice. Mm, my goodness. People people got close to hypothermia, and the school cracked down. They're like, listen, we know you guys do dumb shit, but this is really dumb. Uh-huh. And I, it's like, yeah, you don't kill people. Like, Wim Hof people, does that. Is that a cult? Yeah, Wim Hof could be considered a cult. Why? So I don't know what they do. They do ice buckets outside. I know, I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. If they're... They're hiking up mountains in temperatures that scientists would say are dangerous to humans. Scientists get to decide now? Again, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying. Well, yeah, here. yeah. Well, first of all, why is a cult bad? But yes, you can yeah. consider Wim Hof a cult leader for sure. Okay. okay. And so it's to me, it's like it's either all a cult or none of it's a cult. And, then, and it's not as easy to just go good, bad as it might seem because even these women describe uh, – certainly the one was like the branding was awful it was 30 minutes to which i went okay what kind of branding is 30 minutes when you brand a cat like they yeah. they lasered them it was it's, i don't understand why but uh there's there's a sense that like we didn't feel like victims necessarily some of them did at that exact moment some of them did earlier mm-hmm. some of them didn't till later yeah which is so complexly difficult to to work through uh, and the other thing, and people are like, oh, th- th- it was a long hypnotic induction, which I really think it was. Well, I have another thing. Wim Hof is also eyes open. Mm-hmm. What did people think was happening when they joined DOS? So this is a so this is kind of where I've got to. I go, okay, what makes something good or bad? It's it's the uh, two things that I can boil it down to. One, the amount of disclosure, yeah. and eyes opening that you proactively give to people. Yeah, Wim Hof goes, listen, science is wrong. Yeah, this is safe. But what I'm going to have you do is get in your underwear and we're going to hike Everest together. Mm-hmm. And you sign up you for it. You saw the documentary, yeah. You go, okay, I'm going to sign up for this. I know what I'm getting into. Yeah. I think Colds or not, I don't have a problem with that, right? Mm-hmm. The, the question with Doss and with this person who uh, is probably going to jail is what did he tell people? If he said, hey, this is Doss, <laughs> it stands for dominance over women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. At some point, you're going to get a brand. You're going to be my sex slave. Yeah. Here's the contract. Okay, we're just two adults entering into a transparent contract. Mm-hmm. Like seems fine so but, the, but if you tell people this is the next level of nexium it's mm-hmm. a personal development thing it's all about your improvement and then they t- it turns out that it's about being a sex slave and being and being branded now you're not getting what you signed up for right well so i'm gonna play devil's advocate who says that getting branded being a sex slave isn't the next level of your personal if he had said it was if he said listen dos is about personal development yep. self-improvement via being my sex slave and getting branded mm-hmm. do you want to join dos mm-hmm Okay. I that's where I kind of came down to is like the level of transparency and so just so you know this particular evening it's like dress in this you don't know what's coming you don't you have no idea what you're getting into necessarily you might have heard whispers but you're not certain mm-hmm. it's super secret you get there they tell you there and there's a ton of pressure in that moment to conform. And so I agree with you like if you just said you put it on your website, after three years, you will be branded. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's what the fraternities do. That's yeah. what I'm saying. You look up every other brother has a – before you join, mm-hmm. you know that every other one has a brand or doesn't. My mm-hmm. fraternity didn't, and I knew that. I looked around. No one was branded. So I knew what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, so I think that that is uh, – forget cold or not cold. That's what makes it moral or not moral, I think. Sure. Good or less good. And then the, the other thing that I think is important is uh, the – how open the door is to leave at all times. Mm-hmm. So one of the very consistent things is that they start pulling you away from your your original support structure. They get you as dependent as they can on their community. And then they 
flip the switch from nice guy encouraging to you're fucking everything up, you're ruining everything, you're going to destroy your life, or even locking people up so that they don't leave, taking them to different countries, not allowing them to get on airplanes. Well, that's the same that's, them. That's the same thing as abusive relationships. That's the mm -hmm. abusive relationship playbook is you come in really sweet and you slowly isolate someone from their pre-existing friend group, their family. You convince them that they're all bad relative to you and how good you are and how good you treat them. And then once you're isolated, all of a sudden comes the emotional abuse or the physical abuse because now there's no one for you to turn to and there's mm -hmm. no one for you to fact check with, to, yeah. to tell a story to. And they go, this sounds terrible, right? Because abusive relationships would work a lot less effectively if you had a really strong network of people you loved who you were telling these stories to yep. the first time you got hit. And everyone and, and your boyfriend or girlfriend explains to you why it's not crazy yeah. that they hit you, but seventeen people you love go, "This is insane. You got to get out. You'd be out immediately." Versus, and you can imagine a BDSM relationship where the guy goes, "Look, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to hit you if you enter into this relationship under these circumstances." Yeah, in the uh, bedroom when we're having sex yeah. in these ways, or, or 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 in the middle of the street, and only sign up if this is what you want, right? Like, I think I think you and I are similar in that two adults can have whatever. Uh, relationship two or more they want two or more two or more adults <laughs> can have whatever relationship they want and they can agree to do things that would be violations of their rights like getting hit if they did not want that under the circumstances where they say no I've I've signed up to this mm -hmm. it gets confusing and I'm realizing these cults when there's this boil the frog isolate from the family like mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff and then all of a sudden in a moment of complete pressure and weakness they go can I hit you and they go yes then it's, you know, can I brand you? Yes. It's like, well, is that, is that consent at yeah, that yeah. point? It's a very weird, complicated thing. And it made me think a lot about the army. It made me think a lot about fraternities. Uh, well, I think a lot for about people, these personal development for people programs. listening, that's the warning sign though, right? The warning sign is, is this person or is this organization causing me to lose touch with my pre-existing relationships? Mm -hmm. That's, that's a big red flag. That's a huge red flag. So, so if you, if you look around, you go, wow, since I've been dating this person, all my friendships are weaker or gone, or I've had to end ties with my family. Or if you join a personal development group and all of a sudden you are not, you don't have contact with your parents or friends that that's the thing that should light up in your brain, a big alarm. Anything else that you'd written down? That was one. I did have one more, mm, but I think I've forgotten it. Nice. Let me see if I had written anything. I told you this, but it's such a good story. I'll repeat myself. So I was, I was looking at all these sociopath people and one of the things that came up is Lance Bass of NSYNC has a production company, did a movie on Lou Pearlman, who was the manager who, like, brought Backstreet Boys and NSYNC into the world. Mm -hmm. And it was it was a well-laid-out documentary because it first starts with him and how close he is, and then you see, oh, my God, he's been stealing money from the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC to the point where they were on tour for two years. They sit down at this dinner table. Oh, my God, we haven't been paid yet. This is NSYNC. What's it going to be? You know, there's there's envelopes at all of the things. Go ahead, guys. Open it up. Two years of touring. They open it up. $10,000 each. This is two years in. They've been on tour nonstop. They're the biggest or second biggest thing. What'd they say? Uh, what? <laughs> like, and then what they found out is that he was, A, stealing money, B, uh, like technically they were they were spending their own money because like every dinner they had was oh that was your money that you were spending um they thought that they were like gonna be paid have their expenses paid and then make money but the other thing is where did all of this money go like there's yeah, yeah. a lot more money than the deal than the dinners that we were eating i'm sure of it 
Um, and the documentary goes on, and he turns out. Sorry, did they immediately fire him and send? Well, he had after he him? had these draconian contracts. Got he it. Had so these he, crazy... didn't, he didn't break the law at that point. Well, this is the other thing that made me think of art. We were talking about like, oh, where's value created in capitalism? And it's like, man, it's the person who writes the contract. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the sixth member of NSYNC who got the number one thing. They couldn't get out. They couldn't work for anyone else. They found one, and again, they got a good lawyer. They found one clause that they could get out, and it was he had agreed to sign them to a U.S. record label within a certain amount of time. And he did it in that amount of time, but it was a German label. Mm. And so letter of the law, they started fighting on this. They were able to bring it into court. At one point, the judge was just like, you're saying you're in sync, and you five are saying you're in sync. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter has photo of you on her wall. <laughs> so I'm going to go with you guys. Uh, and you just realize, man, these judges, they do have quite a bit of of power yeah in these disputes but anyway it goes on you're like why is he stealing this money and you realize this guy has been running ponzi schemes forever he's been doing these crazy things and the one that i told you about he's got this airline transcontinental airlines which the fbi joked was the only airline to have no planes because <laughs> it never existed but he had photos of transcontinental and what it turns out is he went into his friends his friend had a model plane thing he picked up this 12-inch model plane, went to, like, near LaGuardia Airport, held up the plane like this, and the camera at a really close angle took a photo. And you see it because he's been showing you oh, Transcontinental. And you realize all the photos of Transcontinental have the tail cropped out of the photo. Because that's where he's holding that's it. that's where he's holding it. Nice. <laughs> so he was getting all these money. And, and it, I'm laughing, but it's horrible because he stole... 500 million dollars from people over the course of time from uh investors and banks an incredible amount of money stolen uh they don't know where it is somebody's got it somewhere uh and i'm then, always impressed by the audacity of these people so this is what i go was... you've stolen 300 million dollars yeah you go for another 200 million that is truly insane ridiculous i don't know what the word is and also, the judge told him, which I don't I, – maybe he got rid of it. Maybe he gambled it away. Like, that's so much money to spend. Yeah. I mean, you can't non-conspicuously spend half a billion dollars. Yeah. yeah. Even people when you're hanging out with sync. People struggle to give it away. Yeah. So uh, the judge said, for every whatever million you give, I'm going to – it's back. I'm going to give you a month off of your sentence. And he didn't do it. Now, I don't know if he didn't have it or somebody else was spending it. But it's just like, what the heck is going on well, here? Well, how long was the sentence? I mean, it was like 25 years. He died in jail. So if it was $500 million. X million. I don't know how many it was per, but it was like, you, you find wanna, this money. I just don't know how much back. he could commute a sentence by. I mean, 12 times 25, right? That's a big, that's $250 million would have got him out of the, essentially. I'm, it's 10 times 25. Yeah. 40, it would have gotten him 40 years off if he had given $500 million back. Yeah. It's incredible. A million, at a million a month. Yeah. So yeah, so it was just interesting. I've been looking up these sociopaths, and I think one of the I'm going to do a number of videos on psychos, cults, sociopaths. Yeah. But one of the big things that seems to come up is whether or not they're just like, oh, here's normal people, here's them. They do have motives that make no sense. I was going to say I, I won't talk about it because it's your story, but you you accidentally got close to someone yeah. who was a sociopath. Yeah, they manipulated you and. You didn't know, and it's because when you tried to look at their actions, even when they were suspicious, mm -hmm. through your mind, <laughs> doing risk reward and this even and that, under, like okay, if I were in their position, what would and you okay? If I had 
$300 million. And I just discovered in sync, would I steal more money? Yeah, or would I, or would I just go or to Bali I... and try to not get arrested for my $300 million? Yes. And so that's the thing. That's the <clears throat> tough part about when you're being manipulated by these sociopaths is – they are truly making decisions that will never, ever make sense to you. Mm -hmm. So when you see them, you don't assume malice necessarily because that malice wouldn't make sense if they were you rational. You can't establish motive. Yeah. That's the hardest thing is that you, you, establishing motive because you're like, okay, this is fishy. This is fishy. But why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't uh, – the, the risk reward, the cost, it just – no one would do that. And so that's one of the things that I think comes back in – a lot of these cases, like Jim, you know, we talked about yeah, well, Jim you Jones. Don't, you don't assume the answer is because he likes to eat people alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like you're yeah. trying to figure out like this is so weird, this thing, but, just, but like why would this – why would he be doing this? And your brain doesn't go to maybe it's because he's kidnapping people, locking them in the basement, and eating them alive. Or whatever crazy You know thing. what I'm this saying? This is not the That's not that your I story. Well, I'm trying – I'm very much trying not to, to share your story. Yeah, it's all good. Um, but yeah, you just don't – that doesn't even occur in your brain. Yeah. And so – you go okay. I don't know. I don't know what their motive is, but I totally. can't. I can't figure out that it's malice because it doesn't make sense given my range of thoughts mm -hmm. as a normal as a person with a fairly normal functioning brain. Sure. So yeah. So we're looking at one or two videos on that kind of stuff, and we've we've talked about some of the things that'll be in them. But yeah, the inability to establish a clear motive is it's consistent in this stuff. You go why why mm -hmm. you had and and what everybody says is he had everything. We all loved him. We had, like. It was great. He was he just found Backstreet Boys, Insync, and then he went on and did the other ones, which didn't really work, like LFO, O Town, making the band, that whole thing. Why? Mm. Um, and it's 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 unclear. There's some uh, there's some weird back rubs being given. There's one guy who alleges that he touched his his penis at one point on the Howard like Howard Stern show. The guy says that this happened. So, mm -hmm. uh, all, but all of it still is like, but why steal? Why why it doesn't make sense. Um, unless you're just different in a way that most people aren't. So two videos on that to look forward to. Nice. <laughs> it's going to be good to get out of those for me. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> and, yeah, and that's that's all that I had for, for Lou Perlman. All Anything right. else? No, let's kick it to Justin. Cool. Okay, so the first fan question is from JJ. Hello, JJ. What's up, JJ? Um... They say, I have a group of friends that hang out on a regular basis, but when we get together or part ways, we are usually broken up into smaller groups, so I'm at least with two other people when I'm interacting with a person I'd like to speak solely with. I'm not very close with this person, but we get along great in a group context. I specifically want to ask them a question that's more personal and therefore would rather not turn it into an uncomfortable group discussion. I'm someone who prefers face-to-face -face communication versus texting or calling as I find it easy to miscommunicate messages through those means which means simply texting them is something I'm reluctant to do. How do you engage in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone you interact with primarily with a group? So I'm imagining, like, like for instance, when we were in high school, our friends would all hang out in the same basement. Yeah. And how do you talk to that person one-on-one? -on -one? I would just invite them to do something else. Yeah, I, I, say, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't try to do it in the basement. Like, no. hey, come on, hey, John, come here. <laughs> a sec, quick sec. No, I, I would probably say, okay, if I really want to talk – my first thought was phone call. I would just call the person to have a conversation. Yeah. But if you really want to do it in person, I would make separate plans. I wouldn't try to sneak off in the group because that's going to be tough to do unless it happens serendipitously. But you could just text the person or call this person to get do a coffee, get food, whatever it is. And now you have a solid hour plus one-on-one. -on -one. You can talk about whatever you want. Yep. And I was going to say, I mean, similar to you, phone call. Sounds like you don't like the phone. Totally cool. 
but presumably you're making plans with people <laughs> at a distance you're not uh simply agreeing at the end of every in-person interaction when the next one will be so yeah text them call them go get a bite to eat invite them to a movie go play a video game do something and in in, in that circumstance do it because yeah. if you want to essentially what you're saying is you want to have a relationship that is a one-on-one -on -one relationship or let's say you have a very some... specific this person is, i don't know is in a relationship you really admire and you feel uncomfortable asking or they're out of the closet and you're not and you want to know how but you don't want people to know your closet let's assume it's something that's, it's very private to you yeah you've got to make plans with them separate i wouldn't try to have this conversation you got to be a one-on-one -on -one friend yeah. yeah that that's close enough to hang out one-on-one -on -one if you want to ask a one-on-one -on -one question cool I think that's the answer nice <laughs> um, justin's pleased with our brevity on that one yeah so that the next brief. one <laughs> is uh from a guy named goofy theories or a girl um they say my ex broke up one year ago my ex and i broke up one year ago and it seems like i can't get over her she broke up with heavy accusations of me being a narcissist which i am definitely not a friend of hers even had to convince her that i am i tried dating other girls and working on me to become a better person but nothing seems to help i always have the feeling that i lost someone important because of a lie what can i do well um so that the lie was introduced late in that question. No, the lie is that he's a, he or she is a narcissist. She, that was the basis of the breakup. Then. So so you're dating someone. They say, I don't want to date you anymore. You're a narcissist. Oh, that's not a lie. That is an insult. That is a – like a – But I think it, the reason the person feels that it's a lie is because um, – a friend of his ex had to convince her that so, he was a narcissist. Oh, a friend. Oh, I see. So the here, friend. Here. Uh, the friend spoke to the the girlfriend in this uh -huh. case. Said you're yeah, dating said, a narcissist. Yep. She buys into that. Says we're breaking up because you're a narcissist. Yep. And I, I understand. Okay, I got it now. I'm on, I'm on sure. the team. Well, so I'll I'll cover the narcissist part, and then you cover the getting of a breakup part. Because I feel like you have thought about that a lot, right? Okay. So I don't think that this person broke up to you because – or broke up with you because of the label of narcissist. I don't think they went, oh, I can't be seen with someone who is a narcissist. My guess is that your behavior caused that label to make sense in their head, if that makes sense. Because if you if you weren't doing anything that they disliked and then their friend came up and was like, oh, this person is a narcissist, they go, well, I'm really happy with this person and this per every single thing this person does makes me really happy. So I would – focus less on the word and i'd focus more on like what behavior do you think led to the breakup because there's no way if this person were really really happy that they would break up with you over this that i can see at least i won't say no way does that make sense mm -hmm. so instead focusing on okay what are they trying to say when they use this term that's totally inaccurate right you're not a narcissist a therapist has confirmed it yeah maybe that i maybe that i wasn't thoughtful in the ways exactly that maybe, what, me to be. maybe what they're saying is that this person came to watch your sports because you're on a sports team, come to your sports thing over and over, but you never went to see their sports team or, it was, you know, they always had to come to your house or whatever it is, which I don't even think any of things are good or bad, but there might've been behavior that you were doing that this person didn't like. So I'd look more into your actions and sure. how that, how that your actions made your ex feel than I would worry about this those actions, label. Those actions, whatever they were, were true. I mean, whatever happened, happened. Yeah. Uh, and if that person didn't like it, well, either you can reflect and go okay they didn't like that as i reflect on that i don't want to be like that in my future relationships i'm going to make a change or, or <laughs> i'm totally cool with those actions i actually do always want the person to come to me i do never want to go to their house mm -hmm. and so i'll just find somebody who's happy with that because my ex thought that was a deal breaker yes but yeah so yeah i would focus on on the behaviors 
that you had while you were dating. And then, of course, the other thing is uh, I know that what sticks in your mind is, oh, we broke up based on a lie. But certainly if you'd met someone else four months later that you really liked and you were hitting it off, I, I don't think that this would linger in your mind as, as a recurring issue. The feeling uh, attaching it, oh, we broke up because of a lie is, is deeper. This person is right for me is what's it's what's beneath that we were supposed to be together if not for this lie we'd still be together and happy and that would be better for me Mm -hmm. life would be better if i was with this person uh so gosh what to say about getting over a breakup yeah how do i get over a breakup so i think the first thing is you know people talk about closure that is not something that happens it's something that you give to yourself Right. And so you feel that you haven't gotten closure because this relationship wasn't really over because it ended under false pretenses. Uh, And I think Ben's first point is it didn't actually end necessarily under false pretenses. Like there was enough interaction between you guys that this person didn't like. And she might have called it narcissistic when it wasn't. But uh, if this person tried to label you a narcissist and they agreed that a narcissist was someone that made her feel sparkling and rainbows every single day, she would just keep dating the narcissist. This happens, by the way. There are actual <laughs> narcissists out there and their their girlfriends or boyfriends cannot be convinced mm-hmm. to break up with them. Their friends are unable to despite trying a lot. Sure. And it's because that narcissist is creating addicting feelings in their partner. Sure. And let's even let's even take it further and say that this friend is a uh, is an evil mastermind and just wants this friend all to themselves and hates you and poison the well all this kind of stuff. Well, uh ultimately the person that you were dating values their interaction with them above yours. Uh and maybe one day they won't and they will come back, but recognize that What you have in your head is, no, we had this perfect relationship, and then reality came in and blemished it, reality being this friend, reality being this label or this thing. And the truth is the relationship was not perfect. The relationship was the black spot plus the other stuff as well. And it was so not working that it's over. And I know that this is often hard for people to wrap their heads around, but that signal that this person is no longer with you is the best closure that you could possibly ask for. Uh, they have chosen not to be with you, uh, which means let's say that you did talk them back into getting with you. You think that wouldn't linger in the back of your mind that at any point this person could have somebody come in and say that person is a narcissist, this person is selfish, he's a jerk, and within who knows how long that this could all happen again, that you're with someone that doesn't want to be with you through a label. Uh, So I know it's tough, but this... If you were able to remove this one thing, it would happen again, and you would be broken up with again, and you'd start this whole process over. So this person has, in a weird way, done you a favor of not doing this over and over and over again for the rest of your life. The relationship is over. Okay, so that that philosophically sounds good, yeah. right? I can nod along. I can be this person and go, okay, fair enough. That mm-hmm. makes sense. We were supposed to break up. It's not the friend's fault. That does not help me feel yeah, any better at sure. 2 a.m. when I'm lying in bed lonely with a knot in my stomach, yeah. right? And I know that one of the hardest things that you went through emotionally was a breakup, right? Where you you had that. I think a lot of people have that, that lingering doubt, that upset stomach. So let's say this person buys in philosophically to everything you said. Mm. How do they now feel better? Got it. So there's a couple of things. And I'm, I'll start small and I'll zoom out to the big picture. I kind of went big picture with the philosophy there. Going to small, the problem is things that trigger you right something happens and it makes you think of them your song your this your photo your that and now you're 
somewhere you could be having a perfectly good time and you're suffering in your own head. Got it. The specific behavior that you want to do is to learn how to snap those thought chains, which have worn themselves in. And so in real time, I made a video why you don't feel good enough. You could do eye scrambling techniques, which is essentially you start yourself on that one of those chains. You're thinking about someone, hum happy birthday while making your eyes go around your head. So you go, and it's tough to get back to wherever you were at the end of that. And so the, like at a high level, a state break. It's just a break. You're saying you're saying you're caught in a mental loop. Mm. That loop will run forever, but you can interrupt it, right? We had a friend that used to throw blueberries at you, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> you throw blueberries when I'd be sad and pelt me <laughs> so not always useful not yeah, always useful, not always but can be appropriate at times yeah. it would make you laugh make me laugh so any sort of a state break in that moment very valuable uh another thing that is worthwhile is to and this is zooming out a little bit is to uh write what you truly want because what you think you truly want is this individual but that's not what you truly want what you truly want are feelings right what you want is to feel accepted loved understood connected safe etc so start with the feelings and then translate that to a person agnostic description of an ideal day Mm -hmm. and for you honestly i think you want to get in my experience i'm trying to get to a point where it doesn't include necessarily having to have a romantic partner but let's say that yours does and you write down your ideal i wake up this person is next to me they're loving we do this together we do that together but don't imagine your ex it's not your ex it's it could be anyone and what you'll realize anyone is but your ex. anyone it could be anyone but your ex and what you realize is oh my gosh there's things that she wasn't that i really would like mm-hmm. and the absence of her opens the door for this something better and writing it out makes that something better a bit more concrete and that was really hard for me when i did it while i was in a relationship because i was in a relationship and unhappy mm-hmm. and i was like okay i'm gonna try to write down my ideal partner and i kept coming back to things <laughs> yeah. about my yeah, yeah. girlfriend and this person might have the same thing with their ex at first, right? So mm-hmm. if you sit down and you struggle with this genie in a lamp, the biggest that well, the, yeah. the best thing you can do is sit uninterrupted and allow yourself to think and write and don't expect to get it right right away because it takes a little bit for your mind to imagine someone besides the person that you've idealized. Yeah. And how right? about someone who doesn't break up with you because their friend told them that you're a narcissist? That could be the first thing you write well, down. <laughs> and you start to forget you because you a lot of times our brains will lock in on the person we're with or we were with you forget what's possible right and so my friends and my ex did not get along and i had to sit there for a solid five minutes which is a lot of time when you're sitting alone with a piece of paper before it realized you know it'd be great when i would go over to hang out with my friends i'd say oh i'm bringing my girlfriend and they go sick she's great that would be amazing and i didn't have that mm-hmm. but that doesn't come to me in the first 30 seconds the first 30 seconds i'm only thinking of the things that i want that she had because she did have oh she's funny she's smart she's this and i'm right now i'm like oh man this is this is the girl i'm with like mm-hmm. why aren't i happy and once you get through all that then you kind of start to get to the other stuff so i think committing to the exercise is, is important because your imagination has been stunted by yourself in order for you to be obsessed with your ex. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. You had to assume she was perfect to love her and be infatuated by her. Mm-hmm. And so now you have to retrain your brain that, oh, actually, she was allowed to have flaws. Yeah. And I, what you're describing, you said, I believe he said he'd gone on a full dates or dated some other people. And I, I don't know. What did he say? Yeah, he said that... He said that I tried dating other girls and working on me to become a better person, but nothing seems to help. 
Got it. So one of the things that I also experienced, particularly on the early part of this relationship ending, was uh, a strong desire to go out there and meet someone else. And then once I was with them, if we were sleeping together, or even just hanging out, you know, it's not her. <laughs> like, aggressively comparing Aggressive to comparisons, at which, of course, they could never live up to because the ideal in my mind was has been described she has to fit in the to the shape of my ex is basically what you need to be from a personality physical everything like fill this exact void uh so that's going to take some time necessarily and it's not crazy that you could go on several dates or date several people and feel that they don't measure up Mm -hmm. uh very very normal just saying that and then we move to the bigger things um so we've got state breaks we've got getting concrete on your ideal life you can assimilate with that right how am i going to turn this into a good thing you know what sort of changes i know you've described this but because of this breakup i'm going to dedicate myself to uh music in a way that i hadn't before i'm going to do this and if it's to show them that's can be a fine first motivation but we want to move away from that as quickly as possible uh similarly there's another sorry i'm going to step back small things delete them on social media do not i mean if you've looked at their instagram you Shame on you. Never, ever, ever (laughs) again. You're not allowed to do that. That's done. That's over. Delete that. One of the other things that I could never do is delete her contact information. So what I did was I just labeled it your ex. So if I ever glanced at it, it said, you know, this is what this person is. Those things seem small. They are important. And then we get to the big thing, which is essentially why would you – I don't know how long you dated. Did he say two years or he didn't mention? But it's been a year One year ago. One year ago, we don't know how long you've been together, but how is it that someone could meet an individual, and I don't mean this as any insult to your ex, that everyone else in the world describes as a person, maybe a nice person, a kind person, but not essential to their life other than her immediate family maybe? How is it that you could meet them, presumably not be together for a decade, I'm guessing less than that, and a year later be so stuck on them? And what you'll find if you do therapy or ayahuasca or a lot of things is because this person is fitting in many cases, the mommy role, uh, which is to say that we have these deep-seated wants and needs in our brain. And the mommy role is someone who loves us, who is perfect for us, oftentimes who, and if, you know, might not have been there as much as you want, which is perfect because now the sex is gone and she fits the mommy role even more perfect. Uh, And what you want to do is find a way to deconstruct that idealization of this individual. Yeah, just to clarify, because I I would have had pushback on this if I had heard you say this 10 years ago. You don't mean in an Oedipus way. You don't mean a mommy role like, oh, they are like your mother and you want to have sex with your mother. You're saying that there's this desire for someone to love you unconditionally. Because a lot of times as humans, Tony Robbins says, one of our deepest insecurities that we all share is that we're not good enough and therefore we don't deserve love or no one will love us, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you have this girlfriend, there's this peace that even with all of her flaws, at least she loves you unconditionally and will forever. And therefore you are okay, right? And so a lot of times when you have a breakup, it's not that you miss the person's conversation. It's not that they're so much funnier than all your friends. It's not that they sent you the most riveting self-improvement things, but it's that they, their presence made you feel okay because someone loved you, quote unquote, unconditionally. And now they're gone. There's a terrifying fear you will never fill that void and therefore you will be alone right that's what you mean when you say that they fill this sure yeah yeah uh and i also i think i do i do think that it comes from a mommy thing we made a video that's called i think why we love people who hurt us and i know that this is uh perhaps less palatable but my belief is that 
we learn all of our critical definitions about life very early, before our memory. Like, for instance, you learn to walk prior to being able to remember it, but you do it every day. You learned your accent. You learned many of the words, in fact, probably all of the words that you use on a normal basis, before your memory kicked in, which means that you also learned what love meant, the deepest kind of love when you were an infant. And that comes you know, in two forms. You've got often a male primary caretaker and a female, who in most senses are your mother and your father. Uh, and if you do something like therapy or you do something like ayahuasca, which can help you to unravel this, but you can also do some free writing on how this person uh, might relate or connect to this, what you'll often realize is that these people have very similar traits to that primary caretaker and that there is a part of us that is always trying to get back to, as you described, to that primary state of uh, completeness, connectedness. They took total care of me and I felt peace when they were present disturbed when they were gone uh so i don't want to tell you to do ayahuasca but that's kind of what unraveled it for me i had one epiphany i think i'll briefly tell the story i was i was under the influence of ayahuasca i was going why this relationship i've had so many why is this one sticking with me and i went through my brain and i was asking myself questions what about this girl i don't care about her what about this girl we don't care you know we're over that one. we're over that one what about this one? Oh, call her right now where's your phone <laughs> like and uh i said why and what came back was Oh, God, I can't even remember exactly the words that came back to you. It was essentially... Uh, it's like she takes care of me and you don't? She takes care of me and you don't, which is a very mommy thing to to experience. That, oh, my God, this person was providing for my most basic need to feel safe, loved, and enough. And what I realized is with, with this particular individual was the only time I let myself watch movies. It was the only time I let myself eat junk food. It was the only time I let myself take my brain off of work. The only time I didn't have to be self-improving was when we were on a date because that date was self-sufficient in itself. And so I don't know if it's through therapy. I don't know if it's through something. But the biggest thing that's going to stop this cycle from happening again because you will just get into another relationship. You will probably attach to them in a serious way. And it's likely that a year later you'll be like, oh, my God, that was my person is to start to unravel this need for someone else to make you feel complete. And that is a big project. I wish you Godspeed. I can't possibly cover it <laughs> in this thing, but we do have a handful of videos. Why you don't feel good enough. Why we love people that hurt us. Uh, the ayahuasca video, go deeper into it. So it's a big one. And then I hate to say it because I know you're a year in. Time heals all wounds. Eventually, it just it happens. Yeah. So You and I have totally different strategies. Yeah. It's interesting. What was yours? Mine is mostly to get rid of the the idolizing the person. My, my thing that I found is that often with exes, it's most upsetting when you think that they're perfect mm -hmm. and that the more you can see them as they are, as the rest of the world sees them, the better off you are. So a lot of the things that have helped me is sitting down and going, oh my God, I miss, I miss talking to her on the phone so much and going, well, what was that actually like? What was that experience like if you remove the fact that she was your life partner and you guys told each other, you're my person and I'll be there forever, right? And just the pleasure of the phone call, what was that? It was like, well, it was talking to someone about their friends who I, some I liked, some I didn't like, and hearing about the minutia of a day that I didn't really care about. It's like, okay, can you get that elsewhere? Yeah, I could probably get that from <laughs> basically anyone I date, right? Well, if you really desperately want that, could you get it right now? Yeah, actually, in a way better way. I could call my hilarious friend I haven't talked to in a month, mm -hmm. and I could hear how they've been. And I would go do it. I would call my friend. I'd have a really good phone call. I'd go, wow, that was actually way better than my conversations were when I talked to my ex, right? Mm -hmm. And I would, I would try to do that. I'd be like, oh, my God, 
she was so wonderful in all these ways. And I go, okay, well, maybe that's true. But like, how often was she actually that wonderful? And how often was she more like a regular person? And how often was she actually causing you dissatisfaction and anger and unhappiness? And even if it's a great relationship, you'll think of instances. And often if it's someone you've broken up with, at the end of the day, when the rose glasses are off, you can see the relationship for what it was, blemishes and all. Mm -hmm. And even if it was mostly good, you go, yeah, I can replace that. Mm -hmm. I can't replace perfect, always takes care <laughs> of me, always fun, everything's great, but that's not what it was anyway. Yeah. What I can replace, maybe if it takes more than a year, so be it, is whatever it actually was. Sure. You know, you just realize that it's not the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. The other thing, and I know it's been a year, I presume you've done this, but I'll say it just in case, is uh, when we're in a relationship, we often separate from our friends. Uh, and when you get out of it, I think it's very important to get back into that. One mm -hmm. of the things that pulled me out of sadness so many times was getting back, and I, I actually do think it's important, to getting back to my male group of friends. Because when I was in a relationship, what naturally happens is that you, you kind of even each other out if you've been together for a long time. So if you're normally... Uh, more on the masculine side, you become softer and more feminine. It's it's the way in which people grow in relationships, oftentimes. And I would say that they, you know, the, the the women that I were with were becoming more masculine, more assertive. They they were learning these types of things from me. When I got out of it, I was I lost my center. And so getting back to my group of friends, which as unhelpful as it might sound, they're like, dude, what are you sad for? You know, they would like haze me. Yeah, <laughs> no, we would, like... would just be like, yeah, we would just say your good, your good traits and why it was like absurd that you thought you were oh, ever going to find someone. Yes, it was, it was positive and sometimes, but it was also even sometimes like, dude, shut up. I'm tired of your bitching. And I was like, oh my God, that was never how my girlfriend and I dealed with problems. Like this, this masculine, like, dude, suck it up was actually helpful for me to get back to. And I know people are going to be like toxic masculinity, suck it up. But I was so in my feelings, which which was kind of what I yeah, there's a balance. closer to. There's a balance. Listen, if you break up and yeah. you never are sad and you're sucking mm -hmm. it up and you're then let sucking it, up yeah, all the time, then cry something. you need then to get in touch some. with your sadness. Yes. But if you're moping around a lot, then you need to get in touch with your not mopey yeah. side. And so my friends who would literally laugh at it, tease it, poke fun at it, throw blueberries at me when I started whining about it. Like that was the type of stuff that made me uh, get back to uh, uh, my my single center. And I, if I had to say it, I would say— And for women, I would actually say I think that there's value in getting back to your female group of friends and and, and living in that uh, for for a bit. I'm sure that it's got other corollaries, which I haven't experienced. But yeah. No, and I think being around people that don't think it's the end of the world, yeah. that's the biggest thing. Because I actually went through a breakup, and I was talking to my really good friend who's super masculine— and he's like, oh, dude, that's crazy that you broke up with her. I, she's the kind of girl I would have put a ring on. It. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? But you're someone I look up to. Like, yeah. Have I made a terrible mistake? And so I think for you, the biggest thing was you were hanging out with people that just thought it's not the end of the world, man. Sure. Like she's cool in ways. She's not cool in ways. You're going to be fine. Yeah. And they every communication they had, whether they were being teasing or listening intently, it all came from an emotional center of, at the end of the day, you're going to be fine, and this isn't the end of the world. Yeah. Well, I appreciated both because, for instance, I would talk to my mom, more feminine, and she would be so, are you sure? Is this a good idea? Are you? And she was very soft, and it was helpful at times. And then it was also helpful to come back to Benji and have him throw blueberries at me, tell me to shut up, and, like, get over it. So I, I, it was funny. I would, I would ping depending on what I felt like I needed a little bit more of in the moment between those. What was the worst thing you did when trying to get over a breakup? What was the worst thing that I did? I mean, 
I, I don't fault myself for it, but certainly it was the stop, start, stop, start nature. If you just look at what's going to make this end the fastest. You're was, saying you kept hooking up with her after you guys broke up? Uh, we broke up and then we're on and off for a year. And one would imagine that after that year, if we had just broken up, that it would have been over at that point. Got it. So certainly the duration and the net amount of suffering. Well, sorry. What if your goal? Okay. So what if your goal isn't, I'm not saying what was the worst thing you did for getting over your ex. Yeah. I'm saying what was the worst thing you did for your mental health or your happiness? Instagram. By far. Looking at her on Instagram, watching her things. I, I still remember the caption seared into my brain of her and her boyfriend, her new boyfriend, uh, when they got together. And it it was something like, oh, man, real men have beards because this guy had a big beard. And I was so angry, sad. I was ready to, to cry murder. Mm. <laughs> you know, like – and because uh, I can't grow a beard, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a bad, that's obvious to everyone. And uh, and I felt targeted. And one day I'll ask her. I was like, "Did you send that as a poison dart? At <laughs> did you send that out for me? I'm very curious." Um, but that it was Instagram, man. And then the other thing is, man, the image would just sit in my head. So social media, by far, anything that allows you to stay connected to them and, and reminded of them is awful. And quite frankly. Uh, it might have been all social media entirely. Just being reminded that uh, so many people outside of my – like not, not being grounded in my immediate experience. I'd be out to lunch or dinner with you guys and would be out somewhere else. And I think social media only facilitates that further to go, oh, my God, she's at the club right down the street right now. If I walked in there, what could happen? It's like didn't need to know any of that. So right. would have deleted her from social media or at least just block, hit her, got off it myself. Nice. Anything else? Uh, anything else? That's the biggest one when I think of the sadsies that I had was just scarring. It's like, I'll just check first. Uh, no. What, <laughs> what, what harm What harm could possibly harm? happen? And it was, it's funny because I was compelled to. I wanted to. I had to, uh, to see what was going on. Uh, I wonder oftentimes if, because I could never do it, I, I don't know. I wonder if deleting her number might have helped more and just giving myself that whatever that i can never contact is. her which of course I, I mean it's 2020 like finding someone is not that hard yeah. but I, n- I never allowed myself to delete the numbers like this might come in handy someday <laughs> interesting <laughs> so i don't know about that but certainly instagram was the worst for all me. right cool. cool anything else yeah one more that was a long <laughs> yeah <meandering. laughs> justin's not impressed with our breath sorry man breakups are hard i mean that's the truth that one's good um so the next one and last one's from evan He says, despite being raised religious, I have a lot of skepticism regarding faith. I'm currently attending a gap year program halfway across the world meant to answer my questions about religion. The program has a cultish atmosphere, and in particular, one teacher has his own cult of personality. He has a very specific language pattern that his students pick up, and he attempts to instill fear with a large emphasis on punishment and hell, and he has his own special program where if you comply with his religious demands, anything from showing up to prayers to not spilling seed... For a few weeks, he'll take you along with everyone else who did it on massive trips that are legendary among the students. He even acts as the father figure of the students, past and present, literally referring to them as his children. Be careful. I'm sorry. I'm uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm so deep in this cult stuff. All the ones that I'm watching, not saying this guy, there's always sexual assault in this kind of stuff. Not saying this guy, but I've just been deep in the literature. Be careful. Go ahead. Yeah, and he just sends it. Most of the guys let it slide and just think of him as zealous, but it disturbs me on a deep level. 
interested to know your thoughts. Be careful. Sorry, I'm so deep in it. I, I don't mean to apply the edge cases to this particular guy who just might be a nice religious person who takes people on trips who believe in him. But the father stuff, the trips, the compliance building, the all of that it was is very tied into sexual exploitation in these sure, especially if you're going to make sure that the only people on the trip are your zealots yes right yes and and the isolating and the in-group out group even within the in-group you know the the dos inside of nexium so uh definitely do not mean to say that that absolutely applies what i am saying is that these are the red flags that i have been writing down and preparing for a script mm -hmm. this week so just red flags doesn't mean fire it means keep your eyes peeled good for you for being aware so what was the question sorry i just got well, i just want to know our thoughts but the, <laughs> I, the other thing i would say and i think this is because people ask this a lot you know i'm in a religious community or i'm i'm living with my parents and they have these views and i feel like it's often and i don't know how old this person is but it's often when you're a teenager right because when you're younger than a teenager you mostly just take your parents views and what the part i want to highlight is when you're older you have a lot more autonomy and so you're questioning your faith you've either voluntarily gone to this place or you got sent to this place to answer your questions and now you're surrounded by other people who are of the same faith right but at some point you will have freedom of location and you'll have autonomy and you can get out of the community you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. um and i think you can it can feel really trapping if you're in a family where you're very restricted your freedoms are restricted or if you're part of a religious group and your freedoms are very restricted and I just want to make sure that this person and other people know that there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that as you get older, you will have the ability to go to areas that have more freedom of thought, where you're allowed to follow different religions. And, you know, I don't even know the religions of some of my friends or if they're atheists or not. And I think that, uh, yeah, that that's my one thought is like you don't feel like it's the end of the world if you don't share these beliefs which if you were 16 or 19 or something like that it might seem like there's no life for you unless you figure out how to convince yourself that these beliefs are correct does mm -hmm. that make sense yeah yeah so i just want to clarify the question he just wanted to get our thoughts on the situation and did he have any particular questions about what yeah, I mean, it sounds like he just has a general bad gut feeling. Mm. And, and doesn't he's, know, he's not sure what to do, right? Like He's shipped halfway across the world. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it's tough. So honestly, man, I, I'm too deep in, the, in this stuff because this smacks of everything that I've been reading about this week. And it doesn't, I want to reiterate, it doesn't mean that it is that. It's especially the part that hit me about uh, mechanisms of sexual control, which I know are pretty common to religions. But, the, you know, about spilling seed, it's why is that a why is that important for who gets selected? It's and maybe there's a religious belief, but it also in these in these cults where there is exploitation is who will, can I control sexually mm -hmm. is is, you know, this is a litmus test. And there are gradations of these sorts of tests. So what I would say is allow these trips to happen without you allow the, there are so many legendary trips that you can take um you're out there right now. If you want to bring it up and dissent, feel free. God bless you. You don't have to. You're under no. Uh, but it, there's likely someone that might appreciate Dude, it. Dude, well, did. that's what I was going to say. I went to a religious overnight camp. Well, was, some people were religious, but yeah. I wasn't. And you can find people that feel yeah. the same way that you do. We were all the same religion, mm -hmm. but the levels of devotion were totally different across yeah. the spectrum. And so if you feel like I'm not sure about this religion, 
and this these trips are for the most devote non-seed spilling mm-hmm. uh praying people go i would say go the other end instead of trying to figure out can i go on these trips are they safe be like, like, who's being left behind i'm not gonna go on these trips <laughs> they make me uncomfortable this guy makes me uncomfortable i want to find out who's got the tension i'm gonna find yeah seriously <laughs> dude i used to i mean i used to skip services at this overnight camp and just go climb a tree yeah and two other dudes would come with me and they would, i don't know how we never got in trouble for it but yeah. we just if they could find us they'd yell at us so we just bounced and i'm yeah. not saying to do that either but i'm saying i think yours and i also don't want to encourage that because i do know that your camp while it was religious was uh not controllingly terribly religious is that fair like oh i mean we did it every time we never got yeah yeah, yeah. for it we were also in wisconsin i don't know if you're if you're in the middle of nowhere in an unsafe place like mm-hmm. i just went to a tree yeah hung out till services were over <laughs> but my point is that you're you're in a you're in a community of a number of people right it could be 20 it could be 100 i don't know it's really unlikely you're the absolute only person that's a little bit weirded out by this guy yeah and so i would find the other people who are weirded out and you don't even have to start a movement or revolution but you can just quietly hang out and not be indoctrinated into the extremeness that makes you uncomfortable sure so that's that's what i would do i'd just be looking for the other people who feel weird and go hey do you does this make you feel weird cool let's talk about how weird it is i wish i knew your age and level of autonomy it sounds like you're younger um well the program's only a certain number of months right like well no i just mean like if you're over 18 my advice is get out of there go home or not home go to your home where you live let your parents know to the best of your ability in in a kind way that this isn't for you uh you don't like you can come back to religion that's the other thing a, a lot this my issue with the cults as ben and i said is it's they don't want you to leave like but guess what the bible's going to be there in 20 years if you if you determine that this is right for you you can come back to it what what disturbs me is the level of lockdown needs to have it right now happen um that's concerning so if you are of age go back to your place let your parents know hey this isn't for me right now for x y and z reasons uh, have an adult relationship with them that allows you to disagree. And I know that this can be hard depending on what your parents believe. That's if you're over 18. Sure, but if you're 16, if you're I, 16 I was I was under 18 when I went yeah, to this camp. It's harder. It's well, harder. Not really. Find your crew. Well, you can't. You, you kind of got to play along to a bigger degree. You can't just be like, hey, by the way, I'm out. I'm buying a plane ticket. I'm not going back to that house. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm saying yeah. you could. I'm saying you can. T- oh, listen, I don't know what's happening. If it's a cult of molestation, it's going to be tough. But if yeah. it's just a if it's just a camp esque setting and there's a weird counselor, you can still have fun by just finding friends who are of your belief system mm-hmm. or your level of devoutness. Sure. And so I want to just pause because we might have taken this because we're thinking about cults a lot too far. Maybe your question was simply, "Hey, I don't agree." with the religious tenets of a lot of the people i'm surrounded with what should i do how should i feel yeah yeah, yeah. find a crew of people that feel like you feel uh well and and just to reiterate kind of what you said is uh in my opinion maybe not in your religions questioning is okay this is the thing that scares me the most about these cults is that they shut down questioning and i know that religions do this too uh they shut they make you feel guilty they make you feel ashamed they don't let you come on trips they tell you that that's the devil inside of you uh, and you can watch our video, which will come out in two weeks, for examples of these cults that instill this in people such that their own critical thinking has been lost. And what I want to say to you is if you come to religion, keep your critical thinking. You can do it both, I believe. I think that there are people out there who do do it both. Um, and I don't really personally care how you wind up with regards to belief in God sure. or not. But you also I hope don't you maintain be, critical thinking. You don't have to be a hardcore atheist or a— <laughs> Or a super devout non-seed spiller too, right? You can just mm-hmm. identify as Christian and find the other people that have your level of, I believe in this part of the Bible, but this, not this part of the Bible, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to be an extremist. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. That's a that's a sticky situation. I didn't. Mean <laughs> You're sick, man. I hope it's not a sticky situation. You're a sick, man. Because <laughs> you better not be spilling that seed. All right. Good luck. Good luck. I hope that. I think it's interesting. If we totally missed the mark, comment again. I think yeah, it's an yeah. Interesting situation. Yeah, that's, that's scary. I'm sorry. I'm so deep. Yeah, is it scary? I'm so deep into the cult. You're picturing stuff. you're picturing a cult of pedophilia, and I'm literally just picturing my camp. sleepaway yeah, yeah, yeah. Jewish camp. Yeah. No, I think that that speaks to. What and the I truth think. is, one of them or oh, somewhere in between. Yeah, I've been reading a lot of this stuff, so apologies. Which does remind me, though, people, the more I mean, obviously, you don't necessarily maybe want to say the name of the place if you don't want to get in trouble. But the more specifics, the better. Yeah, yeah. If you can allay Charlie's fears that it's a pedophilia cult, or if you can let us know that it is, we that, didn't say anything. That I just really assumed helps. that because of the 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 red flags. But I often, I almost always wish that there were more specifics in the questions. It was a great question. Thank you. Also. I really like the relationship questions, and I want to try a relationship question call-in. So if somebody could, uh, if somebody's in a relationship or just got out of a relationship and you have a question and you want to talk to us instead of writing in, I would love to have that conversation. Dope. And we mentioned this. If somebody in the military would like to sit down with us because disabuse of us, some of our ignorance, well, that would be a, super interesting. I have a potential person lined up. I'm okay. trying. They are an ex-pilot for drones. Uh. So those drone strikes that kill very ex-military people or sorry kill they kill enemy soldiers but also sometimes they kill civilians yeah so we might be able we might be getting a uh, u.s army drone pilot on the podcast so i'm working on it it's have a great week everybody when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.